little bit more than that tonight, amen? Come on, I think he deserves our best. God is faithful. I don't intend to preach long tonight. <laughs> Amen. Um, God wants to do something in this house tonight. The question is, will you let him? Appreciate the burden, the man of God, and his wife for our church. Appreciate their love and their care for the sheep. Thank you for his leading, guiding, feeding, and maturing us, and strengthening us helping us to become everything God intends us to be. Amen. Why don't you lift up your hands for a few moments? Why don't you love Him? Come on, the Spirit of God is in this house and He's wanting to do a work tonight. in your Bibles, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things?
verse 31 says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Let's put our Bibles down. Let's pray. God, we ask you tonight to do whatever you desire to do in this house. God, I know you desire to do great work in this house for this great people. God, I pray that you would move accordingly, God. That hearts would be open, ears would hear. God, that there would be response to your spirit, response to your word. God, you have been so very good to us. You have been so very faithful to us. Tonight, we thank you. We love you. We want you to have your way. In Jesus' name, why don't we clap our hands to him. Turn in, shake their hand, you may be seated. I'd like to preach to you tonight from this title we find in verse 31, if God be for us, if God be for us, God is all-knowing. He inhabits time like you and I inhabit space. He does not know the limits of time like you and I do. In Isaiah 46.10, the prophet describes him as the one who knows the end from the beginning. So God's plan for salvation begins with his foreknowledge. Before he ever created mankind, he knew that there would be a need for salvation from sin. This is important to be understood tonight. The cross is not God's knee-jerk reaction to sin. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says that Jesus was the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundations of the world. You see, God knew that men would fall into sin. And God knew that there would be a need for redemption. So before God ever made the world, he had already planned for Calvary. God, in his foreknowledge, knew before he even created mankind upon the earth that he would have a church. It existed in the foreknowledge a God. To that end, Paul says that God has predestinated some things. To predestinate means to determine in advance or to plan ahead. It also indicates an unchangeable plan. What is predestinated will come to pass. It cannot be altered. 
Because God who sees the end from the beginning, the one who speaks into the darkness of space and causes the whole universes to come into being determined before he even started creating the world that he would have a church. There would be a church and it would be a church that is triumphant. It would be a church that is victorious. It will be a church that wins the lost. It will be a church that won't keep its mouth shut, but will preach the truth. It will be a church that will preach repentance. It will be a church that preaches baptism in Jesus' name. There will be a church that speaks, hey, you need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And with the Holy Ghost, he's going to speak in you in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. He predestinated the church. He predestined the incarnation. He predestined Calvary. He predestined the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And he predestined the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. He predestined the fact that he would come again one day for a bride that would present himself without spot and without blemish. Those things were bound to occur before God ever created the world. These things were predestined. The church was foreordained. It was going to come into existence no matter what. The church will be victorious over this world. That has already been predetermined. If you get in the church and you stay in the church, you too will be victorious over the world. Because God's church is going to overcome this sinful world. You may stumble along the way, but you must stay in the church. You may fall down, but thank God I got a brother that'll pick me up, that'll dust me off and say, hey, we're doing this together. Thank God for the church. Because of the church, you have assurance that if you remain in God's plan for your life, if you remain in the church, in the end, the church wins. Whatever you do, don't turn your back on the church. Whatever you do, whatever you come in contact with, whatever situation, whatever circumstance, whatever they may say, whatever they may do, don't turn your back on the church because the church loves you. The church is where we find hope. The church is where we find joy. The church is where we build relationship. The church is where we have fellowship. So why? Did God predestine for the church? What did he predestine for the church? Verse 29 of Romans 8, it said he predestined it to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn 
among the brethren. He ordained that the church would be made in the likeness of Christ. The image of the second man, Adam, will be imprinted on the church. Christ will be formed in us. His mind, his ways, his nature. We will be made in his image. As we are made in his image, we are the church. He's building a great church. He has a victorious church that you and I are part of. Don't turn your back on the church. This isn't a limited calling. God does not just call those that he already knows will respond. The invitation is to whosoever will. According to Matthew 20 and 16, many are called, but few are chosen. The difference between the called and the chosen is what the individual does with the call of God in their own life. If this passage was teaching that the fates of individuals were already determined, then the calling of God would be very specific and it would be very limited. That is not, however, the way the Scripture describes the call of God. It is a broad call. It is a far-reaching call. Anybody and everyone is invited to become a part of the church. However, only those who answer the call are called out of sin. He may have called the whole world, but his church will only be composed of those who have answered the call. Those who have answered the call will obey the gospel. The Bible said in Romans that they are justified. God counts them as a righteous based on the cross. Regardless of their past, based on the cross, you are called the righteous. Regardless of what you've done, regardless of where you came from, regardless of what you did and what you said, regardless of all that, you are, your, your righteousness was based on the cross. The final step in God's plan for salvation is glorification. We are not there yet. We are called out and separated from this world, but we still live in a sinful world. We still struggle with our flesh and the sin nature. One of these days, he will take us out of this world and he will give us a brand new glorified body. Amen. On that day, we will have finally completely overcome the world. That will be the culmination of the process of sanctification. We'll be forever set aside for the pleasure of the king. That is the end goal of the salvation process. I want you to notice that although we are not yet glorified, Paul speaks it in the past tense in Romans chapter 8. He said, them he also glorified. 
This shows that in the mind of God, glorification is already a good and done deal. It is absolutely certain. God will bring glorification to pass if you remain in the church, if we stay with his plan for our lives, if we stick with it. One of these days, we're going to be taken up from this world and to complete the good work that has begun in us will be completed. All we have to do is hold on to the end and stay in the church. This is the place where I am safe. This is a place of security. This is a place of hope. This is a place where I feel the peace and joy and power of God moving in my life with collective worship and praise from the rest of the church. Paul is crafting an argument here. And everything up to this point has been the proof or the evidence, the facts to back up this audacious claim that he's about to make. Verse 31, he says, What shall we then say to these things? If God before us, who can be against us? He's saying, What shall we say in the light of all these things. What is the conclusion of the matter? What does all this teach us? It teaches us that if God is for us, no one can be against you. If God is on your side, it doesn't matter who or what opposes us. His promises are forever settled in the heavens. He has already predetermined that he will have a victorious church. If I stay with that church, then nothing in this world can steal the ultimate victory that will be mine. If I stay with the church, God is for us. Why don't you say that with me? God is for us. Say it again like you mean it. Oh, come on. I think you can talk a little bit harder with that. God is for us. That feels good, doesn't it? Well, it feels good. Do it again. <laughs> Amen. He is on our side. He is not only with us, in the sense that he is present alongside us, he is also for us. He wants us to prevail. He's pulling for us. The word for in the original language, when it says, if God be for us, that word for conveys more though than just the idea that God is rooting for you and I. That word for in the Greek word means on behalf of. And it tells us that God is working for us. That's the significance of God 
being for us. Not that he is pulling for us or he's sitting in the stand saying, come on, you got it. Do it, do it, make it, do it, do it, do it. No, but that he is actually working on your behalf. He is not neutral in this. He is personally invested in your salvation. He is on your side. And he is working on your behalf. When God called you out of sin and he filled you with the Holy Ghost, he invested himself into your life. He invested in you. This is personal for God. When Paul says, who can't be against us, he's not suggesting that no one will oppose you. He is not suggesting there will never be any opposition to God's plan for our lives. What he is saying is, if God is working for us, does it really matter who or what is working against us. You see, there is no power in the universe greater than God. There is no person. There is no spirit. There is no force anywhere that can overcome the God who is working for you. No external force can stop you from being saved. No external force can stop you from making heaven your home. To demonstrate that God is for us, Paul presents the most compelling evidence there is. If God was willing to become a man if he was willing to leave his throne in glory and robe himself in flesh in order to lay down his life for our salvation surely he is fully invested in making sure we make it to heaven this is what it means that God is for us he made a way when there was no way We were lost. We were undone. We owed a debt that we couldn't pay. Sin had a hold on our lives and we were powerless to break that hold. But then God stepped in. He did the impossible. He did the improbable. He did the unthinkable. He came into your life. He brought salvation. He said, hey, I'm calling you to be a part of the church. He made himself a little lower than the angels. The creator, the creator entered his creation. Psalms chapter 2 and verse 6, who being in the form of anybody, God, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal but God, with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Who did that? God. He made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, of God the Father. I want you to think about that for a moment. God has already done the hardest part. He's already paid the ultimate price. The creator of the universe, the ancient of days, he has humbled himself. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, so that he could redeem you. He's already done that much. There's nothing that he will not do in order to make our salvation certain. You see, the argument here is from the greater to the lesser. God has already given us the greatest possible gift when he robed himself in flesh and died for us. That was the hard part. Giving us everything that we need to stay saved is the easy part. He will do whatever it takes to protect the investment that he has made in your life. He will do, listen to that statement for a minute. He will do whatever it takes to protect his investment. He will freely, the Bible said in Romans, he will freely give us all things. He will freely give us all things. Whatever we need to make heaven our home, he will freely give us all things. God is for you. He is not neutral. He is not impartial. He's not just sitting back waiting to see how it all turns out. In a very literal sense, he has some skin in the game. He has committed himself. He's just not backing us up. He's working on your behalf tonight. This means whatever you're up against, whatever's going on in your life, whatever trouble or trial may be, he will make a way where there seems to be no way if you will trust him. 
Look at Abraham. God's extreme test of faithfulness was to challenge the old patriarch to sacrifice his son on the altar. When Abraham held nothing back, when he was willing to sacrifice his promise, and God said, I know I can trust you. We don't find any record of Abraham ever going through another test of his faith. The ultimate evidence was his willingness to offer his son. Now, Paul, he flips that on its head and he says that God has proved his faithfulness to us in the same way. Just as Abraham prophetically said he would, he provided himself a lamb. God made a body for himself and he became a man, the one God, the mighty God in Christ was on location in the person of the one they called the son of God. Now Paul says if God could trust Abraham because he spared not his own son, then how much more can we trust God who has figuratively done the same? The cross is the ultimate example of the faithfulness of God in our life. That should show us like nothing else will that God is for us. And if God is for us, no one can stand against us. Romans chapter 8 verse 35 Paul has gone on about a whole list of things in the remainder of chapter 8, end of the chapter, and he talks about things that cannot stand against. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Tribulation is trouble, or trial. Distress is the result of tribulation. It's mental anguish. When we get distress, we need to remind ourselves, God is for me. Even when I'm persecuted, God is for me. For me, when I'm in famine or nakedness, both of those refer to being destitute. God is for me. When I'm broke, God is for me. When I'm out of resources, when I don't know where to turn, God is for me. Just hang on. Just hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. God is for me. God is for me. God is for you. God is for you. Come on, you need to repeat that in your mind. God is for me. God is for me. 
when you're facing tribulation, you're facing trial, you're facing distress, God is for me because I'm part of the church. And he's predestined the church. When I'm facing peril or the sword, see peril's danger. The sword represents the threat of death. When all I can see around me is danger. When all I feel is threatened. When the news from the doctor is no good. He is for me. He is for me. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 38. For I am persuaded. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul pretty much Covered everything well. If God is for us, not even death or life or angels or principalities or powers or present circumstances or future circumstances, nor even height or depth, no creature, nothing can separate us from the fact that He is for us. He is for us. I'm closing. This is a simple message, really. But it is a truth that you and I cannot take for granted. We often overlook the implications of that simple phrase, God is is for us. He's not just aware of our circumstances. He's right in the middle of it. He's not on the sidelines rooting for us. But in the middle of your circumstance, he's right there. He's making a way where there seems to be no way. God sent me tonight to this pulpit with a very simple message for somebody that's in this house tonight. Amen. God is more than just sitting in a stance rooting for you to win. He's working on your behalf. He has an investment in you. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost tonight, He wants to invest into your life. He wants to do something for you that you've never experienced. Let's stand.
Musicians come. He's not rooting. He's not cheering. He's for you. He's with you. He's working on your behalf. He is for you. He stacked the deck in your favor. He wants you to win. He wants you to stay and be a part of the church. If I could say anything at all tonight, don't give up now. Things get hard. Things get rough at times. The pressures of life are ever around us. But I need the church. I need the man of God in my life. I need leaders in my life. I need fellowship. I need to be in the house of God on a Wednesday night. I need to be in apostolic foundations class on a Thursday night. I need to be at every youth on a Friday night if I'm youth. I need to be at outreach on Saturday. I need to be at church on Sunday morning. I need to be at church Sunday night. I need it. I need it. I need it. I can't survive without the church. You better be honest with yourself tonight. You can't survive without the church. You need the church. You need the man of God in your life. You need him to preach it hard. You need him to preach it straight. You need the church. You need the shepherd. You need the guiding, the leading, the feeding. Why don't we all come forward tonight? There's not one person in here that doesn't need the church. You have the Holy Ghost. He's invested something into you that is priceless. You couldn't get it by yourself. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't pay for it. He's invested something into you, a calling to be at the church. He's invested a calling to reach souls. He invested a strength and a power and authority into you that will change this world if you stay in the church. If you don't have the Holy Ghost tonight, He's here. It is as simple as finding a place at an altar and saying, God, I need you to forgive me. And you imagine emptying everything out on that altar like a bunch of garbage. You let it pile up. You empty your whole heart. And the moment you drop that last bag, His Spirit is going to fill you. And you're going to speak in other tongues as the Spirit give utterance. If you don't believe that tonight, you can't argue with the Word. You can't argue with the word. Let's lift our hands tonight. Come on, let's seek after God. Come on, he's right here. He's right here. Come on, he's right here. If you want him, if you desire him, 
Come on, if you need a stronger relationship, come on, reach out. Reach out tonight. Come on, I want to be a part of the church. I want to stay grounded in the church. I want His Spirit to work in me. I want His Spirit to lead me. I want His Spirit to guide me.